Welcome to Dogs of Warcry. Dogs of Warcry is a podcast from the Mortal Realms focusing on Warcry, a fast-paced cinematic skirmish game by Games Workshop. You can expect discussions on gameplay, rules, lore, painting, terrain, campaigns, and events. Welcome to Dogs of Warcry. In Season 4, Episode 5, we're going to be wrapping up our War for More Kills campaign and taking a deep dive into the Crew Boys Oryx. My name is Josh, and answering the call with me this week is Paven. How are you, man? Hey, I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks. It's, it's nice to be able to uh, kind of talk about our campaign and how this all worked out. It'll be fun. Yeah, we're still going strong. Here we are. Exactly. <laughs> awesome. And with that, we can kick it off with the Forge of Mithraxis, Paven. Uh, yeah, uh, for the this week for the Forge of Mithraxis, uh, which is where we talk about our hobby progress and what it, we're currently working on. I have finished uh, another five uh, Iron Jaw Brutes uh, to finish a squad of ten with uh, Gore Hackers. I think that's the weapon they have. It's kind of the spear option, uh, which is bringing my Iron Jaws dangerously close to 2,000 points. Uh, so that's been pretty satisfying. All I need to do left for them is I need to convert one war, one more war chanter. I want to have two because they're so good. Um, so that's been a really fun project to work on and a good project to kind of feel done with, at least for now. I've also made kind of moderate progress on the Dominion Box Stormcast, which I never expected to paint, but here I am. Um, I, two, two kind of the only things left is a Scott as a, excuse me, a squad of Vindicators, uh, one of the two. So I have five of those guys left and Yindrasta herself. And I've kind of made progress on both, uh, for Yindrasta, um, painting her in, in Gyran guard colors. I have a lot of the armor done. I've also been working on those damned wings. I've gotten a little ambitious and trying to do like a realistic wing, uh, trying to copy, the coloration of a red-shouldered hawk. I thought they nice. looked cool. Awesome. Um, so that's a lot of careful color choice and blending, and I, I don't know if it works, but it kind of looks cool from a distance. And I so, I so so far, I have one side of one wing done. So that's like one-fourth of the way. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> it's going to take a while. Um, it's going to look fantastic. Yeah, I, 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 yeah, I think it looks. I feel okay about it. And then for the other squad of vindicators, uh, I wanted this squad to stand out a bit from because they kind of have two almost identical squads in the Dominion box. So I, I wanted to kit bash these to be a little bit more interesting, um, at least com- contrast with the squad I've already painted. So I want one squad to be like all helmets and pretty clean and not no conversions, and the other squad is going to be more uh, kind of native to Gairan. Now, the, the entire Gairan guard is supposed to come from a single tribe. I believe that was wiped out during the Age of Chaos that had been reforged to protect the living city in, the, in the, uh, the, that realm as a whole. Now, they, they don't really have that much. That's about it for the lore, as far as I understand it. Um, so they do have strong attachments to Gairan, to the Everqueen, to the Living City. That's where their main Stormkeep is. 
So I wanted to kind of combine them with the, that kind of aesthetic, uh, particularly a lot of Sylvaneth bits. So I can kitbash them with a bunch of, uh, I think, kind of smaller, like more, they're trying to be subtle uh, kitbashes to just show that they've, I don't, I don't, I don't know what the, the story for the squad is. I don't know if they were given these relics as part of like the defense of a soul pod grove, or they're just trying to recapture their lost tribal customs. Um, and they don't really know them and they're forgetting them, but they're really trying to like double in and double down on them. Um, so I haven't figured that out. I don't know if they haven't been reforged very much or have been reforged way too much. And that's what's causing this difference. Um, but I, my, my good friend of mine has a lot of Sylvaneth, so we got to open up his, his bits box and uh, play around with it. So I'm oh, using awesome. like the banner from the Tree Revenant kit. I mean, replace some a spearhead with other Tree Revenant bits. I'm using Kurinoth Hunter bits. I'm putting little spikes on them. Um, I think I think they look cool. They haven't been painted yet. Uh, and they, I do definitely need to do a lot of green stuff, like filling in some gaps and doing a little bit of sculpting here and there. Sounds like a great conversion, so. Yeah, I hope so. I, I my, my, my phone camera has been broken for the last like month and a half, so I haven't been posting a lot of my stuff. But maybe I'll, uh, you know, I'll show, I'll show what I've done so far. <laughs> maybe not. Though. <laughs> Listeners, you're just gonna have to join the discard and see if it happens, uh, or, or that you bring it, bring your models, and I'll take pictures of them. <laughs> 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 so you can get the credit. <laughs> I will give you 100% credit. No chance. <laughs> well, that sounds awesome. You've had a lot of great progress, and I can't wait to see that in person, especially the the wings. I mean, those I've seen lots of different versions. I did some on like a Swooping Hog Exarch. It's a lot of work, but it does look nice when it's done. So I think it'll turn out nicely. Yeah, I'm staring at it right now. I think it looks good from about like two and a half feet away. And then like <laughs> you get up close and you can really see the brush strokes. So I don't know. Maybe that's the best I got. We'll see. It was a good learning. It's a good learning and like stretching my hobby. Yeah. I don't want to say hobby wings, but you know, doing a challenging project. Well, if you do like a contrast wash or something over it, that might hide a lot of those brush strokes. No, it's too late now. Too <laughs> no, no, when it's done. When it's done. <laughs> yeah. To blend it all together. No, very nice. Yeah, I'm too afraid. I'm too afraid at this point. It's yeah, taking no, too long fair. To, get, to get here. Uh, <laughs> that's fair. Yeah. Well, your hobby progress has definitely been better than mine. You know, so just like last time, my Dark Oath Savagers are assembled, based, and the Flesh Tones are painted, but I have not started anything further. Um, I have been busy on another project. Um, as many people may be aware, the Dogs of Warcry is hosting a narrative Warcry event at Adepticon 2022 in Chicago area. Um, so that's in late March. Uh, there are actually quite a few Warcry events. There's a tournament on Saturday and on Sunday, uh, but our narrative event is on Friday. And uh, so I have been working with Vint, our local uh, Warhammer guy, to uh, kind of design that event. And then Paven is going to have his uh, two cents put in as well. Right now, um, we've got a lot of ideas, but I can share that um, our, our setting is going to be in Excelsis after uh, Kragnos has torn it apart. So your warbands will be in the area, and we're going to have a bunch of branching narrative quests that, uh, that you'll be partaking in uh, for this particular event. So that's as much as I can share at this point in time. But, but that has occupied a, a bit of my time. So, but I do hope to get working on my Dark Oath Savages soon 
Yeah, how how you feeling, Josh? For uh, I guess we can talk about the circle of paint next. Uh, but true, true, we're on episode five here. I know. I gotta get moving. <laughs> All right, so hop into Path to Glory, where we talk about our games. So unfortunately, we don't have a campaign, a local uh, campaign running locally at this moment point in time. But uh, we do have the two games that we played for War of Mark Hills, and that will be in our victory condition section. So hold on tight. The exciting conclusion of our war for the Morak Hills. Who won? We'll find out. Yeah. All right. Next up is the Vision of Madness. Did you think we were going to get in the content lull for Warcry? Well, you thought wrong because we got new stuff, uh, including the much anticipated and the much i don't know assumed dead uh tome of champions 2021 yes yes (laughs) (laughs) who would have thought i was super excited about it i mean we and i you know it was funny it was editing our last episode and we talked all about all these different things we thought were going to be in it and uh we we were proving right actually a lot of it's in there which is nice but i was happy that we finally ended up getting it (laughs) Because <laughs> I totally expected to get it last year, but yeah, you know, logistical channels and all that. I guess you know now we've got it, so that's awesome. It's on the way. Uh, looks like it's got a lot of really good content in it. It's a it's a beef stick of a of a book. It's really thick. All sorts of good things in there. I can't wait to to, to put it into use. Yeah. Do you want to say anything about it now, Josh? I know you have your hands on it. I can. I can say there are a lot of point updates, which uh, a lot of it makes sense. Um, I haven't, you know, evaluated each particular warband and its impacts, but um, I think that's definitely going to tweak things a bit, balance things a little bit better, perhaps. Uh, it has some really neat quests, branching quests and faded quests. It has rules for all the different Underworlds warbands, which is awesome. It also includes all of the Warband rules for everything that came out in White Dwarf and online in the last year. It also includes all of the online uh, Call of the Ever Chosen quests and campaigns, including the War of Mark Hills, including an additional one, a rat hunting one, which takes place in Excelsis. So, a lot of really good stuff in this book. And uh, some additional rules on match play and a match play tournament setup and some other really interesting things. So, it'd be cool. Definitely nice. up. Right. I hear that there are like kind of not siege rules, but yes, yes, I forgot rules. to mention that. Yeah, you and you know who's one proud owner of a one eighth painted dread hold? It's this guy. Exactly. <laughs> so, so it's definitely gonna try. Yeah, I, gotta, I gotta get that get that big old beast out of uh, you know where it's hiding under my desk and get get back to it. Very exciting. Yeah, yeah it actually, the rules look pretty neat. That'd be interesting to try out, and uh, in terms of how you can tie it into bigger AOS games. Uh, but you know, but by itself as a strike team trying to sabotage walls, getting in. You know, really, really neat. Uh, I'm glad they added that component to it. I'm really curious if the the rules were written, and I don't have a copy of it yet. But uh, if the rules were written with any dreadhold stuff in mind, because it's not a kit they sell anymore. But I wonder if, like, at the back of their head, they're like, oh, man, we have, like, 80 of these dreadholds here at GWHQ. <laughs> like, of course, like. Well, you know, know. They're, it's not hard to make walls and that sort of thing. So, it's and, true. And I have a lot of the really old white dwarfs where they 
had, you know, the original siege rules came out where people had the siege engines and made castles and walls for all sorts of different races. So I've got a lot of inspiration to draw on from too. So a lot of fun stuff in those old, old white dwarfs. All right. Well, hold off, hold off, dear listener, until that episode. Um, we, but that's not all we got. We got other releases. Exactly. Uh, you, you want to tell me about them, Josh? I will tell you about them. This was a surprise. You know, the Tomo Champion 2021 was, 2021 was something we had hoped to get last year and then surprisingly got early this year. But we ended also ended up getting some Warcry Warband boxes like we'd gotten for other factions. And they were releasing, I think it's uh, five of them. One, two, three, four, five. One for Thunderstrike Stormcast. One for the Lumineth Realm Lords. Daughters of Cain. Slanish Superites. And the Cool Boys. So this was an unexpected surprise, and it's really nice actually because uh, they're both well, they're all uh, pretty good prices. Um, you you know you obviously don't get the optimal warband mixture, but you get a lot of models for each particular uh, sets, and you can make a lot of different um, particular units. I'm thinking like the Cool Boys, you know, from the gut the ten get ripper ten gut rippers and three man skewer boat boys you get in that box. You can actually make four different unit types, including a few leaders. So uh, you, you get a variety of models right off the bat at a really good price. So and all of them have a lot of good options in them, which is pretty cool. So. Do you know? Do these come with the cards? I don't know. Uh, I would as well. You know, I'd be a bad assumption. I guess the rules are essentially published in either you know one of the the four faction uh, books or in Toma Champions twenty twenty one, depending on the faction. So or I online. don't know if cards are in here. Yeah, yeah, online, interesting. Right. Yeah, online. Right. So it might be. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know either. But this might be the only way to get the cards is through yeah. these boxes. Right. Um, so that's cool. Um, any of these boxes, like particularly, strike you as good value? Cool sculpts. Good way to get into Warcry. Um, uh, actually, I thought the Lumineth Realm Lords box looked really good. It comes with five Orlan Warden Wardens, five. Orlan Sentinels and five Alarith Stone Guard. So that looked like it had the most variety. The Daughters of Cain had, uh, like, I think it's 10 Witch Elves and uh, Malusi Blood Sisters, the little uh, archer, uh, you know, the Medusa archers, I believe. Well, you can do the, both. Yeah, or, yeah, I think they're either or. So if yeah. the kit is like the normal kit, you should be able to do either or. Mm-hmm. The um, Sybarites had the, the Pangbingers, which can also be Twin Souls, and they have the Blissbarb Archers. Mm-hmm. And as I mentioned, the crew boys have the 10 gut rippers and three man skewer bolt boys. The Thunderstrike Stormcasts are a little more limited. They only have the five indicators and three annihilators. So that I'm a little disappointed about because, like, you know, the Praetors are definitely really good models to have. Um, and uh, I don't think you can make Praetors from any of those particular kits. Yeah, the Thunderstrike, I would, because I that those are the models I have lots of. Like, I have right, 10 right. Vindicators. I don't want any more of those. Right. I mean, I wouldn't mind some annihilators with grand hammers because those are cool models. Um, mm-hmm. But I would rather, like, I don't know, the like these are all models that come in the the starter sets, like Dominion or any of the other ones. It would be cool to have a way to get like the other um, kind of less common kits that aren't like right. packaged anywhere else, like the I don't know what the Vigilers, which are the kind of the Thunderstrike Archers, or right. right. I don't know what are the other ones. Uh, I don't know the ones of the sword guys. Yeah, the cool yeah. yeah, 
And Praetor yeah. is our OP in Warcry, so yeah, yeah, <laughs> so, more on that later. Um, <laughs> I definitely think the other four boxes are probably a really good mix of options. Uh, yeah, Thunderstrike, Stormcast, a little less so, but yeah, if you like Stormcast, there's like a ton of ways to get Stormcast, uh, and, and like a ton of it for pretty like that. In, that includes this and more. Right. Um, so I might. But it, from what I've heard, the box is still a, a pretty good price for what you get. You know, discounted from what you can get. So, yeah, I think that's right. And you can't get the big Grand Hammer Annihilators in any of the starter kits. So, something to think about. Um, yeah. Otherwise, I think I like all like of these boxes a lot. I think the Slanesh are especially cool. The Lumineth are cool. Mm-hmm. Dawn of the King is still great. You got like four different troop types plus all the the associated champions there with the yes. Witch Elves, the Sisters of Slaughter, the Malusi, uh, Blood Sisters, and Blood Stalkers. Uh, so very like almost their full Warcry arsenal minus right. like, an Arai. In that one box. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. And they were kind of a hard warband to get into. I think we did a show way back in the day about like best way to start every warband or like cheapest way to start every warband or some kind of combination between the two. Certainly yeah. wasn't like most way to build the most competitive warband. Right. Uh, I think we got some feedback. I'm like, you're just making, you're making people be bad warbands. I'm like, we're a narrative <laughs> podcast. That's right. That's right. There are other people who do that. <laughs> yeah, there are people who do that. But this is this is a great this is a great on ramp for Dawn of the Game. Anyway, let's move on. <laughs> awesome. Well, I'm glad we have stuff for the Visions of Madness this time. So we, we've been lacking that, and that's been nice to have. But we will move into the Circle of Paint Challenge, where we will discuss and update you on our progress in our challenge. Uh, as you may know. Paven has been kicking butt and taking names. He's painted up two war bands. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm still working on my first one. But, you know, I'm, I'm still feeling good. <laughs> I still got ideas. I just need to sit down and start doing some painting. <laughs> yeah. Paven, anything well, I, else to I, add? I'm not really, I'm, I kind of feel done, but I, we've committed ourselves to a monster. Yes. So I got to figure out what I'm going to do for that monster. I don't know. Yeah, I was going to paint like an Arachnorok spider to go with my Tarantulas brood and like use the rules for something else, I guess, in Warcry, some other chaos monster. Uh, maybe the Vortex oh, you're beast. Gonna, you're not going to try and do a dragonish thing? Oh, yeah, but I, the other thing is maybe I want to just add a dragon to my Thunderstrike. But like dragons yeah. aren't Warcry legal at the moment. Well, I mean, no, but they you could use it, um, you know, you could, you know, uh, use yeah. it as a. Charybdis. My art to write custom rules for it or something. I don't know. <laughs> right, really, right. Yeah, the dragon models are really cool, um, <laughs> but I don't know. Yeah, so I don't know yet. Uh, I'm kind of. I'm gonna wait for you to paint your warband, and then I'll. <laughs> then I'll <make> it <laughs> fair. That's fair. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take that. <laughs> All right. So, listeners, uh, keeping tally. Paven is ahead. I am working to catch up. We'll have some definitely some, have some great war bands for you to see and potentially monsters at the end of this challenge. For now, we're going to move into our victory condition. And in this episode, we're discussing the resolution of the Moric Hills campaign. And we'll also do a deep dive into the Koo Boys war band and what we thought about them and how they play. And, and see if we can offer you any insight into these particular war bands in this campaign. To kick it off, um, as we talked about in our last episode, we talked a bit about the Dominion box set and the packet that came in there, the War at Amberstone Watch. 
But uh, at that time, neither of us had really read that, so we really didn't know what the backstory was for the More Kills campaign. So, at this point, we're going to resolve that issue, and we'll provide the background information that was provided in Dominion. Essentially, Indrasta had noticed that the Throndian settlements in Gur were going quiet, and she asked the Orc Lions to investigate. Apparently, she is good friends, though, you know, the Orc Lions and Ingrasta were all from Gur at one point in time, and they have ties there. The Orc Lions had discovered two different settlements that were empty. You know, they were covered in mists and swamp where there wasn't anything before. The mists were tainted with like hallucinogens and, and kind of corrupted the area, and, and one of them was magically protected. Um, they um, also, they're they discovered some hobgrots in the second settlement, which they hadn't seen before and, and experienced the kind of grenades at that point in time. So their Nart Arcanum traced the mist and uh, discovered it was uh, headed towards Amberstone Watch. Gazog, who's the leader of the Kuboys uh, warband in, in this particular campaign, had received, received visions by the mouth of Mork. Um, and in this vision... Uh, he was taught this recipe to make a sludge broth, which required very unique components that they had to pull from animals and plants and different places all across, this, you know, the uh, Gur. But what this uh, brew would do, it was a swamp gas, was very acidic and mind-shattering, and would poison the earth and the ley lines around it. And so, this is what we had kind of talked about before, their plan was to poison the ley lines so that Thrandia, the continent of Gur, would slough off Excelsis and maybe even consume Karkos Dons, which is the home realm, home realm of Kragnos. And they were hoping it might enrage Kragnos that he would go on a rampage again across Gur. So they actually tested this on the two settlements that the Auric Lions found and then moved into Amberstone Watch, where there, uh, it was built upon a confluence of, of ley lines. So they turned it into a swamp and called it the Dripping Rock, and took it over. Indrasta saw the death of one of the Stormcasts as the Orc Lions were fighting into Amberstone Watch, and she came in and joined the fight, and brought some Annihilators with her. So then she and the Orc Lions and the Annihilators she brought drove the cool boys back. And so that kind of set the stage for the Morakils campaign, where Gazog is angry, and he wants to get his revenge, and the orc lines are still in the area and trying to push them out completely. And that's how they kind of led to our particular campaign. Oh, nice. I didn't know all that sweet background, Josh. Thanks for sharing. <laughs> um, that makes more sense, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah, do you mind if I jump in? Oh, please. Uh, okay. So to catch up our listeners, where were we last time? The, uh, so we we have this ca- this campaign Stormcast versus Cruel Boys. Stormcast are trying to drive out the Cruel Boys, and we played two. And there's we played two games uh, initially. The first was in uh, oh man the swamp. What was it called? Uh, hold on, let me look it up. It was called uh, the Stranglers March Marsh, and we played that first game, and we had uh, Gale's Eye, my knight uh, Arcanum, versus. Um, the no 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 not not Gale's Eye. We had my Lord Imperitant uh, leading the strongest kind of warband of Stormcast into the swamps, and he right. encountered the Swamp Caller Shaman there, 
and he was and we played a, a, a game of uh, I think you had to capture two points, and if you ever captured both in the same turn, you win. Um, yep. And I had a, like a a, a three hundred point advantage, and I was able to to drive drive out those uh, those orcs with my uh, larger force. Then we had the next battle, and this one took place uh in white rush strong point which was kind of a fortified azurite uh, uh area and here my knight vexilor uh, with banner of apotheosis uh faced off with his meager like two other guys against gazog himself yeah, yeah. and was quickly overrun and so that takes us to our next two games in games three we had our final two warbands fighting which is uh, the the force led by Gale's Eye, my knight Arcanum, uh, with a you know uh, with a thousand points of Thunderstrike Stormcast versus Brokagork. What is it, Brokagok? Brokagok, I think. Brokagok, Brokagok, the killer boss, leading a small but fighty eight hundred points of cruel boys. So I had a mm -hmm. two hundred point advantage in that game, and the victory condition was hidden artifact. Uh, these are like kind of randomly they're randomly generated from a list hidden artifact is you start with three artifacts on the table and then one and then on turn two somebody remove uh one player removes one and then on turn three the other player removes the other and then i think after turn three it ends and yep. whoever has the last one uh wins and so usually it's like one is in one your deployment the other's in the other deployment one's in the middle you pretty much the middle one's the only one that matters really and the twist was Howling Winds, uh, which we got another shooting nerfed again <laughs> twist. Uh, I think minus one strike, minus one attack. Brutal for range more than six inches. Uh, Thunderstrike has almost no range. At least, oh, none of my warbands have any range. We do have archers. Uh, but you have uh, those bull boys. Um, <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. And, and the Hobgrots. And the and the swamp kala, you know, but he wasn't in this game. But yeah, but still, I got a lot of range. I had Gail's eye, and she has one strength or one range, one attack that can go up to range seven. Yeah, so very, very barely. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, what was so? How did this game go, Josh? Um, so you know, as we've kind of found out in one of the previous missions, any warband mission or any war cry mission which requires objectives leans in favor of the crew boys just because we got a lot more numbers and this was no different i managed to win initiative and was able to grab the middle objective and pull it back and then i just pulled two objectives back into my corner and kind of blocked out you as much as i could and until i had the last one left you, you almost got in there a few times but i managed to hold on to it in the end yeah i i had a griff hound and i and i sent him kind of scurrying up the uh like the the ruins, the ruins to try to like yeah. jump over your front line and get into the hobgrot that had the treasure uh didn't quite work out you had screened me out really well uh so that he ended up had to fight his way through other hobgrots i had the gale's eye who has a pretty good ability yeah. for a ranged attack that i was surprised um she did not you roll like <laughs> Up to three dice, and on four ups, it does three damage. So that's yeah. pretty good. And then she has a regular range attack, so I could definitely do some sniping. I was trying to snipe him out from from far away, um, and I was yeah. I was feeling really confident going into the game because I had two hundred extra points, which is like you know a, qu a quarter again of your army. Uh, but uh, yeah, you're just you're just able to get on that objective, and it was over quick. Uh, so yeah, you were pull it all the way back and make your models from across the board at least 
one one of the battle groups. The other battle groups started closer. So, but but yeah, definitely favored. You know, yeah. Oh yeah. The annihilator the that started on the end of the at the end of the board. Like, oh, <laughs> he's not participating. <laughs> he grabbed the objective. It's yeah, he right. grabbed the objective, and it turned out for sure. Um, the yeah, I, yeah, this is a good game. Um, yeah, you for your for your reward because every game has a reward uh, that affects the final game. Is uh, where is it? It is the Amber King's Blade. Ooh, what does that yes. do? Got plus three damage on crits, and it was assigned to the leader that was in that particular battle group. So the the killer boss took it. So. Oof, yeah, that's pretty. That's pretty scary when you like roll up those crits. It's not super reliable. Right. Um, but he does have four attacks. That's pretty good. Yeah, and, yeah. It's um, probably get crit five yeah. damage, adding three on top of that. It's like eight for every crit. Crit Definitely something scary. Yeah, okay. my, yeah. That makes my stormcast really nervous because you know they're tough, but you roll those crits, they go down like anybody else, and I don't have that many to spare. Uh, right. So, Josh, you had taken, uh, to my surprise, Ooh. you had taken the two games to my one on our three game uh, kind of preliminary. And that meant that the final battle would take place back at where it began, Amberstone Watch. Exactly. Uh, Cruel boys had forced them back to home turf. Yeah. So we're on the we're on the defensive here. Uh, yeah. If if I had if I had one more games, it would have been like back in the swamps to drive out the orcs for good. But instead, you're trying to complete your mission that you were foiled last time. Yeah, you want to break down this game for us? Definitely. So, um, as we mentioned last time, um, if one person had won two games, you would skip directly to the final game. But since we had each won one, we played the third and then got to play the final game. So that was nice that we actually got to play in each particular location. So at this particular location, we both get 1,300 points, so it's an even number of points. But we are both required to use all of the leaders that were in the previous Warband missions. And so that did affect how the the warband makeup was, was you know, completed in, in terms of um, which models you could take, because obviously the leaders take a lot more points. I won't, I won't go into the particular breakdowns yet. I'll let, I'll let Paven chime into his. But some of the other things to think about in this particular location is um, since I had won most of the battles, I was the attacker automatically and Paven with the defender. So he got to set up the terrain. The bonuses we had coming into this, because of my two games, I had the Amber King's Blade, and I also got plus three, plus D3 wild dice. And unfortunately, I just got one extra. So it didn't turn out to be a whole lot. It was so nice. And then the Stormcast, based on their win in the swamp, got to deploy a reserve group immediately, which came in really handy in this particular game. In this victory condition, the crew boys are the attackers, and the game only ended when one warband was completely wiped out. Um, the only twist was called victory at all costs, and it was part of the campaign, that at any point uh, at the beginning of the, at the turn, you could decide you were going to do victory at all costs. You would gain two wild dice instead of one, but you would no longer be able to get any wild dice for the remainder of the game. There were also two unique battle plan abilities that were in this particular mission. The Stormcast had a double which they could use for a bonus move action, and if they ended their their movement within one inch of an enemy fighter, they would cause D3 wounds. And the crew boys, they had a double that they could only use if there were no visible enemies within 12 inches, they could get a bonus move action. 
Um, and in this particular setup, we use Paven's ruins. And uh, he kind of set up a large keep-like structure in the center with some smaller ruins on the outside. And this particular mission required us to draw three battle or three deployment cards. I got to remove one, Paven removed one, and we were left with the third. Um, so I tried to pick um, a deployment that would favor me. Um, and I ended up with two, you know, battle groups on the board. Uh, Paven was only supposed to have one, but because he had won in the swamps, he got to deploy the second right away. And our last battle groups didn't come on until turn three. So at this point, I'll let Paven kind of chime in and what he took for his Stormcast. Sure. Um, great breakdown, Josh. Uh, really happy we got good use of the terrain there. I felt like we, I think, I think we had a very convincing Amberstone watch. Uh, kind of like the ruins, but we had like a central keep because um, it experienced such battle before. But uh, so the group I'm taking, uh, you know, most of the choices are made for me already. The Lord Imperitant, the Knight Vexilor, and the Knight Arcanum all have to join, and that's a big chunk of points. So I didn't have too much to play around with. Uh, but I went with all of my heavy hitters, the tried and true, uh, the elite, uh, the most OP things that I could find on the list. Um, so that included a Griffhound for that extra speed. Uh, that speed six is super useful in a relatively slow warband. And then three Praetors, because I think they're the best troop in the list, uh, point for point. They got good reach. They got good damage. They're tough. Yeah, and uh, that's, so that's what I took. And I, I knew they were good reading the scrolls, and <laughs> I knew we were going to play this campaign. And I only had one originally, so I made sure to like find two more and paint them up. So I yeah. could have a full unit of three, and <laughs> yeah. so I could try to beat Josh. Uh, yeah. So. yeah, and I end up taking, like, again, as, as Paven said, those leaders take up a lot of points. So I had the Killaboss on Nashtooth, Gazog himself, the Swamp Kala Shaman, and the Killaboss on foot. Um, so I, what, was, what I had left, I ended up taking one Bolt Boy, three Gut Rippers with Stickers, uh, the Shields and Spears, one Hobgrot, one pot grot and one stab grot, um, you know, just to kind of fill out some numbers. And the game was was pretty interesting. Um, I, I, you know, a few things I learned is that you know the crew boys are fragile. You know, they they can they can hit decently well, but with the high toughness, uh, again, needing fives and sixes for everything was very difficult. And in a mission where I had to just try to wipe out the enemy was not in my favor for the really beefy tough stormcast there were a few turns where i thought i might be able to pile on enough bodies to whittle down the numbers but it didn't pay out and uh and paven's toughness and attrition uh you know came in before and he ended up taking the win wiping me out i didn't make him pay for it i did make him pay for it yeah, it was, it was a great game. Uh, Josh spoiled the ending here. Yeah, I think that the Stormcast had the, had the slight edge in a, in a strict game of attrition, given their high toughness, their number of wounds, and their kind of damaging attacks, especially on the Praetors. Mm -hmm. um, I think their real efficiency comes to bear with the Lord Imperitant, who can, on the triple, give, uh, if you have a, five or, a triple five or triple six, which isn't that hard to do, with wild dice, you can give a three bonus move or attack actions out, um, which is incredibly efficient um, to high value miniatures like uh, warriors that the Stormcasts mm -hmm. have. So right. um, they definitely need that extra movement. And um, the 
uh, battle plan ability to give an extra bonus move action for a double is super important for Stormcast because again their models are valuable so bonus val- uh, actions are extra value. Yeah, yeah. So no. I, yeah, it did feel like there was a point, there's a precipice point where I you had killed one of my guys. I only had what like seven 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 uh, warriors in my warband of mm-hmm. thirteen hundred points, which is very low. And you had taken one out, um, and then you had the Nash, the killer boss from Nash Truth. You had the other killer boss that is critting with eights, eight damage mm-hmm. crits, um, which is huge. And I was like, oh man, if I lose like one or two more models, like I'm done. Like it was just, I'm just gonna get downhill. But I was able to get the Lord Imperaton in. He came on the board. He gave out a bunch of bonus attacks. And I was able to kind of, the Praetors kind of went to work and like took down a bunch of stuff. Yeah, yeah, very well. Yeah, I definitely think that the battle plan abilities were were very, um, uh, I felt they were kind of skewed. Where, you know, I think normally like a double, you can get a plus one to your movement. So getting that double and a bonus move is nice for either of them. But... The advantage here is that the Stormcast really get a bonus move and then cause D3 wounds on anything they were within one inches on. And and the crew boys couldn't get the bonus move unless they were farther than 12 inches away from an enemy. So totally not as effective as the Stormcast <laughs> out of my ability. Which Paven yeah. used to great effect, I'll tell you. Because, I mean, why wouldn't you? I got a double? Sure, I'll move in there and D3 to you. Yes. Yeah. The, the D3 damage is not very good. Uh, it's not very much. But if, right. you're like, if you're plinking off like the last one one wound that a model has, that's another action. Yeah, so exactly. It's almost, like, it's almost like two actions for a double. Uh, yeah, a little bit every time, and then yeah. eventually it takes him down. Yeah. So, well, yeah. the, the important thing is that good guys win. <laughs> the Stormcast were heroically able to defend Amberstone Watch again and cast down the cool boys. Uh, what is it? Gazog? Gerzag? Yes. Gazog, yes. Gazog, uh, yeah, was in one-on-one combat. He The mount, the Nashtooth, ate uh, Gale's eye and went to back to his ear. But the Lord Appearance was able to raise his hammer eye and strike that terrible beast low. Yes, uh, that got some good pictures of that too. That one-on-one battle it was awesome. <laughs> yeah, very good. Yeah, yeah. You even used the Nash Tooth's ability to, I don't know, gobble up. Uh, that is what finished <laughs> off Gale's eye. Gale's eye had done a lot of work that game. She was she kind had. of our my artillery platform, mm-hmm. uh, being able to at least throw it back at you, even though you definitely had the advantage at range. Yeah, yeah, that was nice because this particular mission. There were no twists that affected my range, so I could actually shoot at long range with my bolt boy, and the you know, and the one hop guy could actually throw his stuff. So, but <laughs> too little, too late. But <laughs> but I did plink out quite a bit on uh, Gale's eye there with the with the bolt boy, which was nice. <laughs> I will, I will, I also have to admit I cheated in this game, and I thought <laughs> victory at all costs gave you two additional wild dice instead of one additional. So I gave myself two additional wild dice or one extra cheating wild dice in a pretty in in a pretty crucial turn uh, where kind of everything happened. So who knows what would have happened? Uh, so I had to go talk to the TO and take a take a loss there. Uh, yeah, still you guys funny. won this time, but we'll yeah. be back. <laughs> of course, forever. All right, definitely a a fun campaign. I I, I like. Again, we talked about this last time. I really like the narrative feel where the battles are a little asymmetric. 
there are different rewards at each location, and that all kind of funnels into the final the final game itself. Uh, I did enjoy that aspect quite a bit. Yeah, me too. I like asymmetric games in Warcry. Um, I don't like when it feels like you don't have any chance, but when you have like a twenty percent chance, I'm still I want to play that game out because you only it only take about twenty five minutes to play. Right. Um, and this gives you like opportunities to have swings both ways, where you have like you know the victory condition can bias against one uh, team, but then you know the uh, but maybe you're actually bringing two hundred more points, uh, and so that can that, that leads to some cool. Yeah, cool. Well, that, you know, uh, there's that challenge too. Is like if you end up pulling it off, you know, it's cinematic. It's like, oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You were the only one to really pull the upset, uh, unless right, you can pull a lot of game and upset. That's a blast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> wonderful. Yeah, no, thanks again. That was a it was definitely a fun campaign to play out, and looking forward to trying a few of the others. Yeah, absolutely. All right. This is our second part of our victory condition where we are going to deep dive into those cunning, cruel boys. Uh, since Josh is the most experienced playing games with them, I'm going to be your host and he's going to tell you about them. So first, uh, Josh, give me, your, give me the high level on the cruel boys. What is your experience? How do you feel about them? Gork and Morka has got Gork and Mork. And the cruel boys are the Mork part of Gork and Morka. They're the more cunning than brutal. And um, and so this faction definitely plays that way. You know, in terms of the lore, they're supposed to be very cool, manipulative. Uh, you know, they, they like to tear things down just if they look nice. They like to tarnish things and taint things. You know, they don't like anything to look nice or like people looking above themselves. They, they enjoy tearing it all down and spreading the swamps and the corruption and the mists. You know, that's that's their thing. That's what they enjoy. And I definitely think the Warband plays a little bit like that. Nice. Uh, how did uh, What was your initial reaction when the Cruel Boys were teased and then the first models were uh, shown last summer? Yeah, no, I definitely, I definitely think the models are spectacular. Um, when they first came out, they looked a lot like a combination of the Lord of the Rings orcs and, um, and, and, and something else. And I think they done a great job giving them their own unique character compared to like the Iron Jaws or the Savage Orcs. And, you know, their shields and, and combination of weapons and spikes in their background, I thought was just spectacular. So definitely was uh, looking forward to trying them out. Great. Um, anything else you want to add uh, before we jump into their rules and how they play on a tabletop? Yeah, no, I think... Um, in terms of the when they came out with the rule set for them for Warcry, I do think they had a nice variety of units and leaders to choose from, which is always great for Warcry. So a lot of uh, mid-range, higher point models, but also some extremely low point models, so you can kind of mix and match, and uh, and going with some, you know gets you some extra numbers and activations on the tables. So that definitely worked out well. Cool. Um, so before, yeah, let's talk about abilities. What abilities do they have access to? I guess let's not go through them all. There's, I think, 12 or 10. Um, well, which ones are like the real standouts? So, um, so some of the abilities I'm going to discuss are, are some that I were able to use. And um, they, they have a wide, a wide variety of flavorful abilities, but um, there, there are points where I just didn't see how they might be useful. But uh, one of them is the, is, is the Cool Boy's leader ability, the Bone Crushing Bite, 
is for the killer boss on the Nash Tooth. And in this particular case, you get to pick a fighter within one inch of the, of the killer boss on Nash Tooth and roll a number of dice equal to half the value of the ability. For each three up, you allocate three damage points to that fighter. And like you said, this is something I used to chew up that, you know, <laughs> your Knight Arcanum to good effect. Worked out really well, and it was it was like very fun to use, especially with such a large model. You think, you know, this this mount should be able to attack, and this is the way you got to do that. It was really yeah. cool. Yeah, uh, yeah, very reliable damage for a uh, for a double. Yeah, uh, very cool. Yeah, it was really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, another double I found was useful in the last game because, uh, of course, shooting was negated in most of the, <laughs> most of the games we played. But this one is called Aim Shot, and it's for the Manskewer Bolt Boys. You can use a double ability. Um, if they have not moved, the next action is an attack action. They can use they can they can critical hit on a five or a six, uh, which is nice because they only have two shots. So that gives you an extra chance to get the the four points of damage because they're a one four profile. So uh, for a double, I thought that was a nice use and it turned in handy a couple of times. The, the, one of the triples that is really good is for the pot grot. And I know the pot grot got a lot of attention when the profiles first came out. And some people were pot grot spamming, which is, you know, kind of silly. But this is why. So for this triple, you know, in a normal, in a, in a general triple, you can you can heal a model, you know, up to the ability points, um, you, know, in, you know, as long as you're not within one inch of an enemy model. So for this triple, it's called Brood Elixir. You can pick a friendly fighter within one inch of this fighter, has to be the pot grot, and roll a number of dice equal to the value of this ability. For each four up, remove up to three damage points allocated to that fighter. So I was able to pull this off at least once in this last game, and it did. It healed my killer boss. Uh, I think it was only five points, unfortunately. Or it was, uh, yeah, six points. He had 12 or 14 on him. I was hoping to heal a lot more than that, but still. For, you know, if you pick a high-valued ability score and roll in any four-up, you heal three automatically. Very nice. Yeah. Uh, another reason I think people take him is that he's 35 points. Yes. Yeah, so you can get numbers and activations. Definitely. Good value. Good value from the background. <laughs> These attacks and stuff aren't great, but, you know, sometimes <laughs> you just need the numbers and activations. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> and then the, the last ability I thought I would talk about, it's not one I ever got to use, but when I was kind of looking through everything again, it looks like it could be quite effective. It's a quad, so it's not a triple, unfortunately, like the Stormcast ability. Mm-hmm. But this quad is called Cunning Attack. And you can only do it if there are more fighters with the Warrior Rune Mark, which tended to be most of the Manskewer Bolt Boys or the Gut Rippers, um, within six inches of this fighter. And it had to be any one of the leaders um, than the enemy. So they just had to be more of your models with that Rune Mark than the enemy within six inches. Those friendly fighters can make a bonus move action or bonus attack action. So uh, it's nice because it's unlimited. So if I had six guys, you know, all within six inches, they could all get a bonus move or a bonus attack action um, instead of, you know, limited to, to essentially D3, you know, like the Stormcast were, you know. So that that looked like it could be quite useful um, if you had planned to, you know, fill out with more of the, the Gut Rippers and the Manskewer Bolt Boys, uh, you could use that, I think, quite effectively if you kind of moved around in the group. So it looked, tactically, it looked quite interesting. Yeah, I think that's really strong. You have to purposefully not, like, kind of, because it doesn't count Hobgrots or right. other Grots. So right. it's only Orcs, but it's everybody else. 
Um, and then if you have a lot of Mansku or Bolt Boys, like that bonus attack is really good and adds up. Uh, especially if like everybody, like three additional guys is three more, uh, like six more Bolt Boy shots. Right. I think if you can set it up. Uh, the only thing is it's got that six inch range and with Warcry, you have the different groups setting up. But, yep. you know, I don't know. You, you really put everybody in your shield. And then uh, you know, just kind of a few token guys, maybe Hobgrots and the other and the other uh, groups. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there are some other fun abilities that you know, like the Swamp Kala has, and the, the Standard Bear, the Belchabana. But mm-hmm. you know, um, didn't try those out a whole lot. But a lot of flavorful abilities to try out here. Did you have a particular favorite, Pavin? I feel like I gave my two cents. I really like Bone Crushing Bite, and I think. Uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think that's the that's the most obvious uh, attack. It's it, it feels like I don't know, like mounts kind of behave strangely in Warcry because you don't have mount and rider attacks. Uh, so like in this right. case, you'd feel like the killer boss should be more dangerous. This gets part of the way there by like a very accessible double that does a lot of damage, mm-hmm. uh, but maybe. It's also that model is huge on the battlefield. It's it is so huge. <laughs> it can be really difficult to get around the battlefield. Just yeah, that's true. We, we definitely moved some trade in that last one. We're like, hey, he can't go anywhere. I'm like, all right, well, let's push some stuff out of the way. He can jump over it. Right. <laughs> all right. Uh, let's jump into fighters, Josh. Tell me your top three fighters go. You know, of the models I got to try, I really like the Killaboss on foot. Uh, the Nash Truth is, is impressive, but the Killaboss on foot for his points, I thought was extremely reliable. You know, four attacks, strength four. He's got a 2-5 damage profile. He's only got a one-inch range, but he's movement four, toughness five, and 28 wounds. So he's got, you know, above, you know, the normal leader kind of wounds and pretty good overall battle line uh, profile. So... For 195 points, I thought he was a steal. So I definitely would take that again. And uh, when I was kind of thinking of what Warband I might play in a local league, he was definitely going to be the leader I took. So good choice there. The uh, The other models I really liked, but I uh, didn't get to try out very effectively due to all the different twists were the Hobgrot Slittas. Because, uh, you know, they're not too expensive. They're 90 points. They've got movement four, only toughness three. But, you know, a lot of them only have toughness three. Ten wounds. But um, they've got three attacks up close, strength three, or they've got their ranged attack. Two ranged attacks, three to seven in you know, a range, strength four for two, four damage. And that, I think, is their biggest appeal, is chucking those grenades. So, uh, you know, I took three in most of the lists I had. I just didn't get to use them very effectively. But I think in a normal league, they would be quite potent. Uh, just run up there and, and chucking those things to add some additional wounds and models all around you. Definitely very potent fighters. And I have to say, the Potgrot. For, you know, 35 points, uh, you know, his, again, he's not really meant to attack. He's, you know, he's got two attacks, strength three, low damage profiles, only eight wounds, toughness three. But he's got still, still got movement four, gives you activations. And that triple for healing is powerful. So you can usually just keep him next to your leader, some other, you know, powerful models. And he can throw some really reliable wounds on there that don't require you to be disengage from an enemy or anything very nice to have how about you any particular fighters you liked by model look aesthetic i like the killer boss on great nash tooth oh yeah it looks too i think it's too big for Warcry, uh but <laughs> i really like the model period uh swamp caller shaman definitely very dope and 
I think for like rules wise, I think the Bolt Boy boss probably has a lot of play in the kind yeah. of the list I'm describing, where you're trying to like pack orcs together and get free shots. Um, or yeah, I think that three attacks, strength four. Yeah, yeah. Well, one four yeah. damage, but then you can you have access to the double to give aim shot. So that'd be three attacks and then creating on fives and sixes. I think that's pretty good. Yeah, um, yeah, it's pretty potent. So I, yeah, I think that I got, that would be cool. All right, uh, next up, uh, yeah. So allies, monsters. If you were going to extend your cruel boy force, uh, what, what what kind of options are available, or not even what options are available? What would be cool? Yeah. So in terms of monsters, again, destruction only has the Ragnarok at this point in time. So I definitely think they need some expansion there in terms of the monsters they can take. And I was kind of thinking of the the cruel boys and, you know, their nature and where they live in these, you know, hostile environments, swamps and bogs and other dangerous places. And I thought a Jabber's life would be a lot of fun um, as a monster that they might have. Um, and a Hydra could fit in there really well, too. You know, sort of trying to like a swamp-like snake creature. Um, you know, so those would be great to have. Uh, you, know, in terms of the, you know, of course, the Ragnarok is, is, is a cool model, but uh, not really swampy. I, g- I gotta fact check you really quick, Josh. Yeah. Uh, according to Harbingers of Destruction, there are three monster options oh. of destruction. The Arachnarok, which you mentioned, the yep. Aelguzzer Gargant, and maybe the oh. Dank Old Trogoth. And by oh, maybe, I mean, Trogoth is in there now, too. I yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely in the book. I mean, but maybe you'd want to take it. Maybe that's a good... Because they're both gross. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, of course, the Mega Garvin or Gargant is, uh, are nasty, definitely. But no, I did not realize the Trogoth had made it in there. So that, yeah, that, that would be a lot of fun. Is that, you know, is, uh, the next thing I was going to say is, as uh, not really allies, but you can take um, trolls as, as thralls. And, you know, of course, you take one of the swamp trolls, it fits right in there. But the Trogoth would be perfect. Oh, cool. Oh, these are great models. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. Let's go to the narrative. Um, so we're going to end a narrative podcast ends on the narrative. Tell me about like stories or lore. If people want to know more about the cruel boys, um, Definitely. Where, where they go. There's not a lot out in black library yet. Um, so the only real resources for lore of the cruel boys are the, the dominion box set, you know, in terms of the, the war and Aberstone watch, the, the booklet itself comes with, uh, you know, information on the the story, the background there, but it also goes into detail um, the different factions and each of the unit types that are that are presented in that box. So it has a lot of fun information there. Obviously, Cool Boys Battle Tome has a lot of information, and the you know the Mortal Realms crew we did a review of that and shared our thoughts and on that. Really good book, lots of really cool information in there. There are no novels or anything else at this point in time. So I would definitely grab the Battle Tome if you wanted some additional information on the Cool Boys and what they're all about. Didn't Dominion the novel have some Cool Boys in it? Um, I don't know. I didn't see Dominion the novel when I was looking at the Black Library earlier, so, but maybe I missed it. Maybe it's not a, maybe it's not a real novel. <laughs> it could be. I just missed it. I think, didn't the Mortal Realm do an episode on it? <laughs> was it on our network? I don't know. Dari- by uh, Darius Higgs. Shout out Darius. Um, yeah, I think. Th- I mean, they're on the cover. 
I okay. can't. I can neither confirm nor deny uh, what it's inside of it. Um, okay. But yeah, so it's probably in there. If it's about yeah, the Dominion, I mean, yeah, yeah, check out the minion. Okay. Okay. My bad. I missed that one. Yeah, man. I'm just fact checking you left and right on this podcast. <laughs> That's why we do two of us. <laughs> yeah, I think two. Uh, all right. Do you have a personal narrative for your cruel boys? Um, I did not delve into them deeply enough yet to get a full narrative. I had um, I had done some brainstorming where I was going to do swampy bases. They were definitely going to be in some sort of corrupted swamp and gur. I, I was thinking about doing some sort of uh, iridescent shields and that sort of thing to kind of because the, the the shields themselves they 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 design in monstrous faces and different colors so that when the the hallucinogenic mists are released, opponents you know don't know if they're real monsters or not. And so I was going to kind of do them in iridescent sort of shiny colors to to kind of reinforce that effect. But I had not really come up with a really good backstory yet. All right. Well, what, uh, let's let's expand a little bit and talk about like what other narratives we could design for the cruel boys um, in the eight points outside of the eight points. I'll go first. Uh, so I think a cool <laughs> what we did the game we play on the Dogs Warcraft podcast is how do you fall to the chaos gods while you're in the eight points? And I think, well, let's not make any exception for the cruel boys. And I think the most obvious way they fall, and this was even mentioned in the Auric War Clans uh, battle tome, which includes the cruel boys, is uh, cruel boys being blessed by Grandfather Nurgle. He likes how gross they are and how like they use poisons and they're just into corruption and decay. And so he blessed the cruel boys with the, with the diseases and Nurgle's rot. So they become, have, get all sickly and have distended bellies and work in a gross swamp. And I think that would provide a lot of cool narrative and conversion opportunities. You know, maybe Kit Bash with Plague Bearer kits. Yeah. Uh, that's my first align. Nurgle yeah. aligned cruel boys. Definitely. Yeah. I had some additional thoughts and uh, I did see. Uh, one modeler, I can't remember the name, but uh, they had taken the crew boys and added, they physically glued all sorts of moss and plant material all over them. So they, they totally looked like they would blend in a, a wild swamp. It looked fantastic. Um, so that would definitely be something fun to do if you're going for a, a very camouflage-themed force. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it, look, it looked awesome, I have to admit. Um, one of the other ideas I, I was kind of thinking of when I was thinking about iridescent shields is that in the Cruel Boys Battle Tome, it talks about a branch of the Cruel Boys which live in um, Shaish and um, essentially work with or worship insects, much like the spider fang goblins do. Uh, you know, so they've got so they were riding large bugs, and a lot of their armor was made of, of bug shells and things like that, and. Then you could take a, a rhinox beetle that Alarial's riding and, and maybe use it as your monster, something like or you know, put a pavilion on it. I thought it would be really fun to k- kind of theme your forest in that way. You know, they could be from Shaish or, or some other, you know, maybe they're, maybe they're from uh, Gairan with all these different bugs as well. It'd be a lot of fun. Their lore, they also live in many, many different inhospitable places and uh, have been hiding out. For a long time, kind of you know, ambushing, striking when they want to, until recently, where now they become um, kind of come out to the forefront. Now the Kragnos is out, and 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 uh, 
the age of the beast is here, so to speak. So there are lots of different places across the realms which would work really well. You could do ash wastes, acid swamps, metal forests, or you could even do like some dangerous mists, you know, if you're talking about um, in the realm of, you know, of, of shadow. And, uh, you know, so I think you can go with a lot of themes that way in terms of color and even, you know, maybe stylistic choices in terms of modeling, you know, changing their clothing a bit or painting up their weapons and their armor differently. Yeah, definitely. I think the cool boys, more than other Warhammer factions, really align themselves to an environment mm-hmm. and like what, what you choose their basing scheme or where they're from because they're so integrated into like where where they like set up or their base yeah uh, whether that's a swamp or kind of a deep in like a kind of frozen wasteland or wherever you want to do although they don't they're not like the sylvaneth in that they work in harmony in that area but they you know they bend it to their will and they corrupt it and make it horrible like them so i don't know i would kind of want to i don't know i there's an idea I don't know whether this is like kind of a narrative opportunity, but I have a large Iron Jaws force uh, that's from a very particular made up place uh, called the Hungering Plateaus, where it's kind of the series of mini miniature continents that are constantly devouring each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're kind of a nomadic people that, uh, you know, wall around the place and like uh, ambush uh, trading uh, parties and, and, you know, kind of raid the settlements that are on the edges of the continental area. And uh, me and a good friend of mine were talking about how to add cruel boys to this force. And the kind of idea we came up with is that while the Iron Jaws and the other orc clans kind of like ride around on these, the cruel, on these like kind of predator like uh, geographies, uh, the cruel boys instead have set up and have like kind of taken over a single plateau and have used it in a way to make it completely unappealing to its predator uh, uh, mountains and plateaus and stuff because they've made it poisonous to consume for the, for the, for the uh, other rock formations. And so they've so corrupted this piece of land that nothing will be its prey or nothing will, we use it as prey. And and so it will have um, their basing scheme will be aligned with the larger orc force which me and my friend started this force probably in high school, uh, way back in the day. But now it's I've expanded it a lot. It's mostly Iron Jaws now. Uh, mm-hmm. But he's going to supplement it with his Cruel Boys. And, uh, and yeah, they're going to be based in a similar way, but in a but with like a kind of a poisoned, swampy twist. Or at least that's a current idea. Awesome. Uh, so, I I, yeah, maybe it'll start as a war band. Maybe we'll, uh, we'll play some games early on. Uh, yeah. Cool. Yeah, that's a great idea. I love the the concept of uh, poisoning the landmass so that it won't be consumed and they are safe. <laughs> that's great. Yeah, it's like a yeah defensive uh, poisoning kind of poison pill, uh, right? Uh, right. Strategy. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, no, I definitely think these models lend themselves to all sorts of unique themes, and, and as you said, I think in any environmental type theme certainly fits based on their lore. So it fits cool. All right. Uh, I think that brings us to the end. Any final words, Josh? Yeah, no. So we're uh, we're skipping skipping our listener questions this week because uh, we had a batch of questions related to this campaign series in our last episode. But we will be picking up more listener questions in our next podcast. Um, otherwise, I would just like to say, really enjoyed playing these campaign missions with you, Paven. Again, always fun. 
the narrative element was a, was a blast and it was a lot of fun to try out these two different uh, war bands. Looking forward to diving into our Darko Savagers and uh, Tarantulas Brood and uh, <laughs> Red uh, Harvest. We got to yes. jump into yeah. that mess. It's yeah. Be a blast. Yeah. Toma Champions, Adepticon. We got a lot ahead of us. Uh, and if you want to find more about us or chat, uh, we hang around in the Mortal Realms Discord, themortalrealms.com slash Discord. You can hit us at, at Dogs of Warcry on Twitter, and you can email us, dogsofwarcry at gmail.com. Uh, this is Payman. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, with me with Josh. Uh, everybody take care. See you out there. Thanks very much. It's time to put a muzzle on this episode. If it was a good dog, support the show with a positive review on whatever platform you're listening to this podcast. Share it with friends. Join us for hobby discussions at themortalrealms.com backslash discord or leave a tip at themortalrealms.com backslash Patreon. More content is available at themortalrealms.com and on Twitter at Dogs of Warcry.